All right. Stay standing and let's uh, do our verse for the month. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. 1 Thessalonians 2, 8b. All right, you may be seated. So, uh, first things first, let's not go any further without saying Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to you moms. Um, both my mom and my mother-in-law are probably watching live right now. So, mom and mom, happy Mother's Day to you. I love you very much. And I will call you after church, I promise. Um, so, I cannot uh, tell you how thankful I am uh, to be married to such a wonderful woman who is the most incredible mom to our kids, the most incredible wife to me. Um, I can't imagine having a better partner or friend to do this with. And so... My love, happy Mother's Day to you especially. So, uh, instead of starting off with kind of a random story today, um, I'll start by giving you a fun fact about your pastor, okay? There is one, at least one, there's, I'm sure, a lot of them, but there is at least one surefire way to make me tear up. Uh, I'm not making this up, okay? This is, this is for real. Um, there's one way for sure with near 100% certainty to at least get me choked up. Um, and that is if you play a video of kids seeing or hearing for the first time, it gets me every time. Um, I also love the videos where people who are colorblind get those color correction glasses and they see in color for the first time in their lives and, and their reaction to seeing the whole world open up in front of them always gets me. It, it doesn't have to be kids necessarily, but the ones that have the kids in them are, are, are my favorite. I'm sure you've seen these videos, right? Like, so for the, the hearing videos for, the, for these kids who can't hear, it's usually they're getting like a cochlear implant um, or something similar and for the very first time they'll hear a loved one's voice. And I especially love it if the video is of, like, a baby. Like a one-year-old or less, you know, the baby will be fussing, wriggling around, um, all fussy, obviously unhappy, and the doctor's, like, fooling around with the implant or whatever. And they'll get it, you know, set where it's supposed to go, and then they'll say to the parents, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to turn it on now. And then the baby's mom will say something like, baby, it's me, can you hear me? And you see, like, in the baby's eyes what's going on. The baby's eyes get super wide, and then they, like, focus on mom's face and voice and then break out into a smile. And then mama starts crying, and so do I <laughs> as I'm watching, okay? Um, then there's videos of people uh, either having their vision restored or having vision, in a sense, for the very first time. Um, I watched one video um, of a girl who'd been blind since birth. And it wasn't that her eyes didn't work. The issue was that there was a disconnect between the signal that her eyes were sending to the brain and, and vice versa. So, somehow, I don't know how the science works, somehow the doctors figured out how to reconnect that signal. Um, and then they gave her these vision-correcting goggles, and for the first time in her life, she was able to see. It was wild, 
Um, she's talking about reading books and looking at people's faces. Um, another one, a, a teenage girl, received her vision for the first time, and, and you see her looking in the mirror at herself, and she goes, I'm so pretty. <laughs> um, I watched a video of a guy where uh, he'd been blind since he was eight years old. He had this condition that slowly but surely his, his vision got worse and worse and worse. And so at the age of eight, um, he went blind. Then in his 30s, he's given these like insane vision goggles and they turn the goggles on and he sees his wife and his daughters for the very first time. He's married, has two daughters, has never seen his family. And they turn on the goggles, and he's looking at his, his family, saying, I knew that they would be beautiful, but not like this. Um, there's another one where this guy lost his vision in his early 20s because he went on a missions trip. And while he was on this trip, he got this mystery ailment. And slowly but surely, it began to um, affect his vision. Tremendous pain, and then he went... Uh, nearly blind. For a period of two years, everything was completely obscured. He could see light. He could see, you know, a fuzzy vision of something out there, but he couldn't tell what it was. Like, like if you were to put on somebody else's prescription and their vision is way worse than yours and you're looking at th through their glasses like, how do you see anything? That's how this guy was for, for two years. He went from being an accomplished athlete um, to not even being able to do simple tasks without great effort. And he learned, he talked about how he learned how he'd taken so many things for granted. Driving, for example, was something that he missed. Um, and so then, diagnosis after diagnosis, nothing uh, was being figured out. Excruciating pain with no relief for two years. After two years, doctors finally figured out what was going on. And in order to reverse the damage that had been done, they decided to do stem cell therapy. And so they had to harvest stem cells from his 19-year-old sister and then implant those cells into his eyes over the course of a year. Gradually, the cells began to regenerate and gradually this man's vision restored. By the end of the process, with his glasses on, he had 20-20 vision, which was even better than his vision was before his ailment. Now, what I love about these stories is the human element. Obviously, it's incredibly cool to see the technology that doctors have come up with in order to make this kind of stuff happen. It's, it's amazing. That part is very, very cool, right? You marvel at the level of genius that it requires to be able to make something like this happen, to essentially invent a miracle of modern medicine. But as cool as that is, it's not nearly as heartwarming as watching and listening to the people in these scenes. Whether it's the person who's receiving uh, this technology and experiencing senses that they never had before, or the family members that are watching them do so. There's something so wonderful about seeing a person's eyes widen as they are seeing the world for the very first time, knowing that from that day forward, nothing would ever be the same, or seeing a person 
hearing for the first time, hearing their own voice for the first time, or the voice of a loved one for the first time, and knowing that for, for the rest of their lives, nothing would ever be the same. For each of these people, there's a long process that leads up to that moment in the video that makes us all cry. Doctors running countless tests, taking weeks, months, sometimes years, diagnosing the root cause of an issue, identifying what it would take to reverse or at least partially reverse the damage. There's a long process of waiting to see if they'd be approved for certain treatments, whether there would be donors, whether the treatment would be viable. There's a long testing period. Even when special goggles are put on to a person's head, their brains still don't understand immediately the signals that it's now receiving for the very first time. And so there's an adjustment period. For all of these people, their healing was a process. For some, that process lasted longer than others. For each of them, the healing came in stages. It was not immediate. There wasn't a snap of the fingers and they were transformed. Each of them, or in the case of the baby videos, their, their parents, they had to battle through a long process, an arduous process of trusting that would end up leading to this tear-jerking moment of joy. Last week, we started a series called The Healer. And in this series, we're looking at some of the healing miracles of Jesus and what these miracles communicated to the original audience and what they communicate to us. And we learned that miracles are always the messenger, never the message. That in performing these miracles, Jesus is always pointing towards something bigger, always pointing toward an eternal story, rather than just a temporary physical transformation. Because we talked about the fact that every single one of these miracles is temporary. Every person that he healed, every person that he raised from the dead, eventually died. Some quicker than others. And so the temporary miracle was never the point. The miracle is always a messenger. And we learned last week that it's the desire of God to heal the spiritual brokenness that we have lived with as if it is normal. We talked about how brokenness is not normal. That God's desire is to bind up the brokenhearted. He desires to bring people back into community as He heals them and as He removes their shame. Today we're going to see one of the hardest truths to accept about the way that sometimes God heals brokenness in our lives. And that is that sometimes healing is a process. He absolutely can heal instantly, but most of the time, healing is a journey. It's one that requires trust and faith. It is arduous and uncomfortable. But at the end of the journey is a joy that makes the journey worth it. We need to decide if we're going to stick with Jesus in faith through that journey or give up at some point along the way. So, if you've got your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. Mark chapter 8, verse 22 through 26. It says, And they came to Bethsaida, 
And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he'd spit on his eyes, gross, and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hand on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. And his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. So, just before we jump into the main points, let's first set a bit of context. This miracle is taking place in the third year of the ministry of Jesus. And what we'll see is that Mark is going to use this story as a hinge in the narrative. When we examine scripture, we can't throw out literary tools like we've talked about before. The Bible is one that is made of literary genres. And we have to recognize the way that those genres work. Timing is important. Location is important. The fact that Mark is the only one of the gospel authors that records this story is important. It's not that the other gospel writers didn't find this story to be important. It's that each gospel writer had a particular aspect of the person and work of Jesus that they were emphasizing. And the miracles that they wrote about served to build those emphases. So, Mark is choosing this story to illustrate something on purpose, something specific. What is that? And that's what we're going to see. The location of this story is also important. We learn uh, there from verse 22 that this takes place in Bethsaida. Now, at this point, again, this is in the third year of the ministry of Jesus. At this point, Jesus has already spoken a curse, woes, over the, the, the city of Bethsaida, or the town of Bethsaida. In Matthew chapter 11, which occurs chronologically before this chapter in Mark 8, Jesus says this, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. So, it is interesting that Jesus is back here after he's spoken that over them, but it shows that even in the places that are given over completely to spiritual blindness, God is still at work in any who would trust in him. And there's a lot of hope just in that statement alone. A promise for a lot of places in the world today. Places where spiritual blindness is unlike anywhere else. Even in those places, God is still at work. As I've said before, timing is also important. This, uh, there, there's a section here in the narrative in the Gospel of Mark, which begins in verse 27 of chapter 8 and goes until the end of chapter 10. That is one chunk uh, in, in, the, in the narrative. And that section is leading up to the triumphal entry, the beginning of the Passion Week. So this section is going to set the stage for what happens during the Passion. And what we find in that section is unmistakable. In this section that's about to begin, there are three times that Jesus foretells his death 
and his resurrection. And three times where the disciples do not get the message. In each of these three times, Jesus has to correct them and show them something that they don't expect, which is that the cost of discipleship is suffering, death, and earthly disgrace. And interestingly, this chunk of the narrative both begins and ends with Jesus healing blindness. That is not an accident. That is done on purpose to teach a specific lesson, which we're going to see. This is where, again, I want to remind us of what I said last week would serve as the thesis statement for this entire series, and that is, miracles were always a messenger, never the message. So, what is the message of this miracle? Let's begin to build toward that reveal. If you're taking notes, here's point number one. Healing, even miraculous healing that only God can do, is sometimes a process. Healing, even miraculous healing that only God can do, is sometimes a process. Like I said earlier, these videos uh, that I watched about people gaining sight or vision or, or hearing or whatever... Every one of those was a result of a long process of medical intervention. There was never a moment in any of these stories where uh, a person would walk into a doctor's office and the doctor would snap their fingers and boom, a person is healed. The thing is, though, is that there are plenty of times that that happens with Jesus, right? Like nearly every time. That's pretty much the default of Jesus' miracles, right? Immediacy. Mark chapter 1, verse 42. Immediately the leprosy healed him and he was made clean. Mark chapter 2, verse 12. The paralytic rose immediately, picked up his bed, and walked. Matthew chapter 20, verse 34. Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight and followed him. Luke 4, 39, he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her immediately, and she began to serve them. Luke 13, 13, he laid his hands on her, and immediately her spine was made straight, and she glorified God. We could go on and on and on, looking at every single one of the examples of healing in the scriptures, um, and, and between the healings and the resurrections that he did, there's 19 examples of this. But rather than going through every single one of those examples, let me just give you this fun fact about the story that we're looking at today. The healing of the blind man in Bethsaida is the only recorded miracle where Jesus heals someone in stages. This is the only one. In every other recorded instance, the healing is immediate. But here, the healing happens in process. Let's, uh, knowing that, let's, let's read it once more. Verses 22 through 26. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. The sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. 
And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Did you guys see the process that takes place there? It's interesting that before he heals this man, the first thing that he does is lead him out of the village. Again, so often healing is happening immediately, but not in this case. Okay, so people bring this blind man to Jesus and they beg Jesus to touch him. Conceivably, they're doing so because they've either seen or heard that with just one touch, Jesus can heal. So they beg Jesus to touch this man. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus takes him by the hand. Jesus touches him. He grabs his hand. There's, there's a physical connection there. And do you know what happens? Nothing. Nothing. Remember last week in the story that we looked at with the woman who was healed of her hemorrhage, we read that she had faith to understand that if she just touched the hem of his robe, not, not even a skin-to-skin -skin contact with Jesus, if she just touched the hem of his robe, she would immediately be healed. Jesus didn't even touch her. She touched Jesus' robe, and immediately she's healed. And that evidently happened with lots and lots of people. So it makes sense that the people in the story would beg Jesus to just touch their friend and heal him. But Jesus takes this man by the hand, and he isn't healed. He leads him outside the village. We don't know how long that walk was. Maybe it was two minutes. Maybe it was 20. We don't know how long they're walking. But we know that Jesus is walking hand in hand with this guy for some distance. And conceivably, during this time, they're probably having a conversation. So Jesus takes him by the hand, and they start walking. They are talking. Eventually, they reach this location outside the village. However far out of the village they went, they reach that destination, and they stop. And then Jesus spits in his eyes. Weird, right? Very gross. We're going to talk about that why later on. Weird thing to do. This is the only time that Jesus does that, where he spits on a guy's face. But still, the healing has not fully come. At this point, his healing is partial. He opens his eyes and he says, I, I, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And then, finally, Jesus lays his hands on him. And it's at that point, at that point, that he is healed. So this is the only recorded miracle in which Jesus heals someone in stages, in which there is a process. Is this because there was something wrong with the man's faith? No. Because there are also plenty of examples that we find in the Gospels of Jesus healing someone whose faith is not that strong. It did not require complete or good enough faith for Jesus to do a miracle. Okay? And you might hear prosperity teachers tell you otherwise. Not true. Oftentimes, Jesus chose to heal someone according to their faith. But there are also plenty of, of examples where Jesus does not do that. So what do we learn here? How do we take this truth and apply it to our own spiritual brokenness, to the things that we're dealing with, to, to the pain that we're experiencing, to the shame, to the, the, the scarlet letters, the things in our lives that we think define us? I think the first is in recognizing that and accepting that healing is 
a process. We already understand and know that sanctification is a process, right? It is a slow growing and learning and stretching and transforming. Healing is the same way. When you sin or when you're sinned against, a great deal of damage is done to you emotionally and spiritually. Damage is done to relationships. Damage is done to trust. Damage is done to your relationship with the Lord. Damage is done to your ability to connect with others. All of us understand that. But we also know this truth, right? We have this truth in our minds that God is a healer. We know because the scriptures tell us God is a healer. We know that Jesus heals. We know that Jesus can heal with just one touch. And typically, whether we realize it or not, we believe that if we just have enough faith, that's what he'll do. With just one touch, he'll heal. And if he doesn't, that must mean that I don't have the necessary faith. This is what prosperity gospel has done to us. And let's be honest. One touch is what we really want. We believe that that is how it's supposed to work. We look up to heaven and we say, okay, God, there's some brokenness here, and you're the healer, so you can fix this, right? You, you can deal with this. And we expect that, that is going to happen a whole lot quicker than it normally does. And when healing isn't fast, we think that healing isn't happening at all. And so at that point, we think the problem must be with me. I must be broken in a way that cannot be fixed. Or, God must not be trustworthy. Or, maybe I'm not meant for a miracle. Maybe I'm not meant to be healed. Maybe I'm not meant to be whole. But in this story, we see a miracle doesn't need to be instantaneous in order to count as a miracle. I think we'd all agree that this story is still a miracle, right? This is absolutely a miracle. It may be the only miracle that happens in stages, but it's a miracle nonetheless. A guy was blind, and then his sight was restored. That's a miracle. I say restored on purpose, because clearly this man had sight at some point in his life. Do you see how he described his vision after Jesus spits in his eyes? The first stage of the healing. Jesus says, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. So he says, I see people, but they look like trees walking. So he knows what trees look like. He knows what people look like. He knows what walking looks like. So at some point in his life, for whatever reason, we don't know what it is, that, that part doesn't matter to us. At some point, he lost his sight. He had vision before, he now no longer does. Something happened that shrouded his world in darkness. Something happened that stole from him what he, what he once had. And back then, there are no wonders of medical technology that can put special goggles on his head to give him a semblance of what was lost. His hope is gone. There is no chance this man is ever getting his sight back. But then Jesus shows up. And Jesus performs 
a miracle. There's no way we could describe it as anything else. But we also can't deny that it didn't happen immediately. So we need to accept that just because something is a process, that doesn't make it any less of a miracle. Nor should we be bitter that the process is taking so much longer than what we want. Guys, some of us in this room or or watching know exactly what this man must be feeling. Lord, you're going to heal me like this? I really was hoping for a healing of the one-touch variety. I feel like this process is just humiliating me even more. You guys feel that in your lives? God, why won't you just heal me quicker? I know you can. Is it ever going to get better? Is this pain ever going to go away? Is this ever going to stop robbing me of my joy? Am I ever going to feel whole again? Why won't you just perform the miracle? My friends, he is. Slowly but surely, he is. If you commit to trusting in him, he will most certainly perform a slow miracle. I want you right now to stop and repeat those words to yourself in your mind. Slow miracle. Slow miracle. Slow miracle. The speed that the healing occurs does not change how miraculous it is. On the other side of this, you will look back in wonder, amazed at all that God has accomplished. You will be amazed at the restoration, amazed at the beauty, the newness, the joy. In the meantime, have faith in the slow miracle. And know that in the midst of the slow miracle, Jesus is leading you by the hand. That's point number two. Jesus walks alongside us every step of the slow, miraculous way. Jesus walks alongside us every step of the slow, miraculous way. I want us to look once more at verses 22 and 23. And see if there's something that stands out. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he'd spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? So Jesus shows up to Bethsaida with his disciples, and they go into the village. We don't know where in the village they are, in the square, at someone's house that they know, at the taco truck that's parked by City Hall. We're not sure. That much detail is not given to us. But wherever they are in in the village, someone is brought to him. This blind man is brought to him by his friends. And the people who bring the blind man to Jesus beg Jesus 
to touch him. Again, because they know this is the healer. This is the guy that can heal a guy with one touch. So please heal our friend. Please, Jesus, just touch him once and he'll be healed. Maybe if he can just touch the hem of your robe, maybe if he can just feel your hand, he'll be healed. And Jesus does not say to them, sorry guys, I don't do miracles here, here, and furthermore, I'm not finished eating my tacos yet. Leave me alone. Now, what does it say? It says, at the beginning of verse 23, he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Oh my God, there is so much beauty in that. There is so much comfort in that. Guys, look at me. I I, I may not know exactly where you are, but I know that some of you are in the middle of hurt and pain and discouragement, feelings of dismay, doubts and questions, wondering if you are ever going to be okay. Some of your issues I know well, my own included. I know some of the specific things that some of you are dealing with right now. Can I speak this encouragement over you? Jesus wants to take you by the hand and lead you into the slow miracle. One step at a time. Remember we said earlier that we don't know how long these two are walking. It could be 20 minutes. It could be an hour. But here's what we do know for sure. Jesus walked with this man in his blindness. There was a miracle that was coming. Okay, The miracle is on its way. And Jesus knows that. But for some period of time, this man has to walk blindly with Jesus. And I'm sure that as that's happening, he is wondering, is this guy going to heal me? Why doesn't he just speak and heal me? I thought if I touched him or he touched me, I'd be healed. But Jesus doesn't do that immediately. The first thing that Jesus does is he asks this man to trust him enough to walk with him. This guy is blind. To be led by the hand by someone else is to trust them implicitly. There is such tremendous intimacy in leading someone by the hand, right? Anytime that you've been uh, either with a blind person or, or with a friend who was blindfolded or whatever, if you're walking hand in hand with someone leading them and they can't see, they are trusting you intimately. They are literally putting their safety in your hands. They are trusting you that you're taking them the right way. They have to trust you that you're going to keep them from harm. You are helpless and you're trusting that they're there to help you. So instead of healing him on the spot, when, when this man is brought to him and his friends say, please, we're begging you, heal this man. Instead of healing him on the spot, Jesus says to this man, 
walk with me. And this man trusts him and walks some distance with him out of the village. And again, the entire time, Jesus knows. He knows what's going to happen. He knows that a miracle is going to happen. The blind man is just hoping that it will. Jesus knows that the miracle is coming. The blind man is hoping that it will. Again, let's understand, please. Jesus doesn't always heal immediately. Sometimes he asks you to walk blindly with him for some distance as he leads us by the hand, trusting in him that a miracle will come. You may be in your state of brokenness right now, wondering if God is ever going to heal your heart. Wondering if he's going to restore your sight, restore your place in the community. And Jesus is asking you to trust him enough to blindly walk with him. Do not stop because your miracle hasn't happened yet. Do not lose heart. My friend, please be encouraged. Right now, maybe you're not out of the village yet. Maybe right now, Jesus is still walking you to the place that he has picked out for you. Don't give up hope. Hold on to his hand and keep taking steps. And as you do that, listen to the healer's heart. Do you know that taking a walk with someone is inherently a relational act? You do not take a walk with someone and listen to your AirPods the whole time, right? If you do that, you're a jerk and you need to stop because that's not the purpose of taking a walk with somebody. Think about any time that you've taken a walk with someone, whether you were invited to take that walk or you, invite, or, or, or you invited someone else to take the walk with you. All right? uh, a friend says to you, hey, come take a walk with me. And you guys go to a trail or a path or wherever you guys are going to walk. And what are you expecting is going to happen on that walk? You're expecting what all of us would expect, that you're going to talk. You're going to let your guard down. You're going to connect heart to heart. You're going to share feelings with each other. I mean, listen, imagine that you invite someone to take a walk with you. And then you start walking down this path, and the friend that you've invited starts to talk. And immediately you go, shh, nature sounds only, please. And you keep walking. Do you know what your friend is going to do? Your friend is going to be rightly weirded out. Your friend is going to be like, why did you invite me to take this walk with you? You should have taken this walk by yourself. The reason why you invite someone to take a walk is because you want to connect with them. The same is true of Jesus. Jesus invites this dude to take a walk with him. I can promise you that along the way, they have an intimate conversation. 
Maybe they talk about the man's life. Maybe they're talking about his family. Maybe this man is asking Jesus questions about who he really is, how he's able to do the things that he does. Though we're not given a whole lot of details in the story, I I can guarantee you this, this man is blind, so they are walking slowly. It doesn't matter if they walked a short distance or a long distance. They know speed walking with a blind dude, okay? However far they're walking, it's going to take some time. They're taking slow, deliberate steps. And as they do, I guarantee you they are sharing a heart-to-heart on the way. This blind man is having a conversation after which I'm sure he might say, I felt like I'd known him my whole life. My friends, let me encourage you to do the same thing. If you would be willing to trust Jesus to lead you to the slow miracle, trust Him also enough to share your heart with Him along the way and to hear from His heart. Remember that this intimate conversation is taking place before the miracle, not after. Do not wait to connect your heart with the healer until after he's healed you. He wants to share his heart with you along the way. He wants you to pour your heart out to him. He wants to hear your fears. He wants to hear your doubts, your questions, your pain, your confusion. The purpose of this conversation is not to be healed of whatever it is that you're dealing with. That's going to come. The purpose is to connect with the healer. That is what you need more than you need to be healed. That is what you need more than you need to be healed. Remember, I keep saying this, and I will continue to keep saying this, the miracles were always the messengers, never the message. The miracles always pointed to something deeper. And in this miracle, Jesus gives this blind man the true miracle before the temporary healing miracle. Because the true miracle was a connection with God that he didn't have before. The same can be true for every single one of us. Walk with the healer. Open your heart to Him and let Him open His heart to you. Pour yourself into the Word. Let the Word pour in to you. Finally, point number three. Spiritual blindness is often healed slowly and strangely. Spiritual blindness is often healed slowly and strangely. Remember at the beginning I was talking about those videos and I told a story about a guy who'd lost his vision because of some mystery ailment on a missions trip. Right, so he gets back from his trip and over the course of a few weeks he loses his eyesight. And then there's misdiagnosis after misdiagnosis, one after another. Doctors finally realize what's going on and they decide to do this stem cell therapy. And that process takes a full year to be complete. No immediacy. It was a slow process in which more and more each day he could see more clearly. Every day the man's vision got a little bit better, 
a little bit better. And eventually, he could see. In the text, we see Jesus gradually healing this man's vision. After he spits in the guy's eyes, uh, which is very weird and gross, the guy can, can see a little bit, but, but everything's fuzzy. Jesus spits in his eyes and he says, do you see anything? And, and he opens his eyes and he recognizes that he's looking at people, but he says, am I in Lord of the Rings because I see ants everywhere? And then Jesus does the second step and heals him completely. Now I mentioned earlier that the timing of this miracle is important because of where it is set in the narrative. And if we zoom out from this story to look at the whole section of the book in Mark where we find this story, it becomes clear that this miracle is not only a literary device used by Mark in the narrative, it is a parable, a living parable that Jesus purposely uses in order to teach his disciples. So I didn't put this on the screen. Uh, you'll either have to read along with me or just trust me that it's in there. Um, chapter 8, verses 14 through 21 says, Now they had forgotten to bring bread, this being the disciples, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, Seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Right? He, he gives them this warning. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And the disciples take that really literally. And they're like, so we forgot bread. We don't have any bread around here. And Jesus looks at them and is like, guys, are you serious? You think I have any issue with making bread come out of nowhere? Do you guys remember what I just did? Are your ears working? Are, are your eyes... Are your eyes working at all? Then, look at verses 27 through 33 of chapter 8. It says, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priest and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Oftentimes he spoke in parables. This time he did not. He said it plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So, it is sandwiched between these two accounts that we find the story of Jesus healing the blind man in Bethsaida. 
So what is Mark showing? And deeper than that, what is Jesus showing? Well, what he's showing is that this healing is a parable. It is an experiential analogy. It is a sign. And this parable is, is teaching spiritual blindness, which his disciples very clearly are suffering from. Because again, right before he does this healing, in verse 18, Jesus looks at them and says, Are you guys blind? Literally, in, in, in verse 18, he says, You have eyes, but can you not see? Are you blind? They have a fuzzy vision of who Jesus is. They know he's the Messiah, but they can't really see what that means. Their spiritual vision is still in that people are trees stage. So then Jesus heals this blind man, right? There, there's an aspect of, hey, let me show you guys something. Do you see anything? What do you see? And right after that, Peter says what he sees. You are the Christ. Peter essentially says, I know that you're the Messiah, but you kind of look like a tree. Immediately then shows that his vision is pretty fuzzy because he rebukes Jesus for saying, no, 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 that's not what the Messiah does. I have seen in the scriptures what the Messiah does. And what does Jesus do? Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Obviously, you're still blind. There's something else that needs to happen, another stage of healing, another touch that will cure you of your blindness. And when does this touch happen? Well, further on in the narrative, the beginning of chapter 9. In chapter 9, we have, beginning in verse 2, the transfiguration. Jesus, there, before Peter, James, and John, is transfigured. He shows very clearly who he really is. And he's standing there with Moses and Elijah and having this conversation. And Peter, James, and John, with mouths agape, are like, Oh my God. And Jesus is like, Exactly. That's me. This process then gets repeated in this section. Remember, it started in chapter 8, verse 27. It goes to chapter 10. This process is repeated twice more in this section. Jesus foretelling his death and resurrection, the disciples not really understanding. And it ends at the end of chapter 10 with the healing of another blind man. This is a clear analogy. The analogy of the healing of spiritual blindness. A clear indication of Jesus showing them who he truly is. By healing blindness, Jesus was showing them the truth about who he is. They would have known that the healing of the blind was one of the foretold signs of the Messiah. If you remember the story of John the Baptist being put in prison, and John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus and asks Jesus, are you actually the one that we've been waiting for, or do we need to wait for someone else? And Jesus sends word back. And what does Jesus say to John the Baptist? He says, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is he who does not fall away on account of me. 
So one of the signs that he gives directly to John the Baptist, just so you know that I am who I say I am, was healing the blind. Isaiah 35.5 says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. This is a prophecy about the Messiah and his reign on earth. The, the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute man sing for joy. My friends, this, in every miracle that we're going to look at, this is the message carried by every miracle. The message carried by every miracle is this. I am the foretold Messiah. It's me. I'm showing you. I'm doing a temporary sign to show you the eternal truth of who I am. And one of the key ones that he chooses is healing the blind. There are 16 recorded miracles of specific healing. Jesus healed a lot of people. And, and there are sections where it says people brought all the sick to him. But the specific ones that we know of are 16 of them. 16 individuals singled out. Of those, the most common type of healing is blindness. On two occasions, he heals lepers. On two occasions, he heals paralytics. Um, on two occasions, he heals someone with a fever. And then there's another six times that are recorded once. Bleeding, which is the one that we talked about last week. The deaf, the deformed, the crippled, the maimed, and dropsy. I know some receivers that need to be cured of the dropsies, but that's not recorded for us here. There's only one type of healing miracle that's recorded. Thank you for acknowledging the joke. <laughs> There's only one type of healing miracle that's recorded more than twice. And that's healing blindness. That is recorded four times. More than twice the rate of any other miracle. The clear understanding is that Jesus is the only one that can give true vision. Physically, and spiritually. So taking all of that information, let's now bring it back to this text. Understanding, again, the context of Mark and how he is slowly healing the spiritual blindness of the disciples. Remember the grossest part of this story? Jesus spits in the dude's face. So again, they've, they've been walking this whole time. They've been having this intimate conversation. They've, they've become friends, I'm sure, along the way. They finally reach the destination. They stop, and Jesus turns to face him. And now everyone is expectant. Here it comes. He's about to do it. Jesus is going to touch this man's eyes and give him sight. And then Jesus does the most unexpected thing ever. You can imagine what everyone is standing there doing. Again, jaws on the floor, looking at Jesus like, why did you just spit on him? How can you do something so disgraceful? In this culture, like every other culture, that's a disgraceful thing to do. They are, I'm sure, asking how how is this disgraceful thing leading to anything good? The man who's receiving this miracle, I'm sure, is probably thinking, did this dude just spit on me? 
I may be blind, but I can hear pretty good. That sounded like he hopped a loogie, and now my face is wet and warm. What are you doing? Jesus, why can't you just heal like every other Messiah heals, huh? How about a normal healing, buddy? Why does Jesus do this? Why this? You have to, again, look at the context of what's going on. The literary device that Mark is using, the living parable that Jesus is using. Where does this fit in the context? Where it fits in the context is that Jesus is telling his disciples over and over and over, in response to their spiritual blindness, he's telling them, I am going to suffer and die. I am going to be spit on and disgraced in order to bring healing. And what is Peter's response to that? To rebuke him. Why can't you just save us like a normal Messiah, Jesus? Why would you do something so disgusting? Why would you do something that's so against what we expect? Why would you do something that none of us would ever accept for ourselves? Jesus has to show his disciples in a parable and then literally in the Passion Week that disgrace is a central part of discipleship. And after spitting in this man's face to heal him, Jesus is then going to walk to the cross where he will be spit on to give us our healing. When we look at the ways that Jesus heals the brokenness in our lives, sometimes it's not just slow, sometimes it feels humiliating. God, why would, why would you open me up to such humiliation in order to supposedly heal me? Why, why would you open me up to something that's so embarrassing, something that's causing other people to see this grossness on me? Again, we're asking God, Lord, Lord, you have to heal me like this? I really was hoping for a healing of the one-touch variety, and this healing process is just humiliating me more. But listen, because of the sin and the brokenness in our lives, we also have spiritual blindness. God does things that we cannot understand, which make us question Him. But we have to trust Him anyway. Even when the healing process is slow. Even when it feels humiliating. Even when we can't see clearly yet. Because at the end of the process, we are going to be given the same thing that this man was given. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Wherever you are, whatever it is that you are dealing with, whatever the brokenness looks like, let me encourage you to hold on to the hand of Jesus and let him lead you. Share your heart with him and let him share his heart with you. Keep walking one step at a time into your slow miracle. And even when it feels incomplete, 
even when it feels embarrassing, trust that clear vision and restoration is coming. Healing is happening. Keep trusting. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the slow, painful, embarrassing process of healing. Lord, we know that even if it doesn't go the way that we would have drawn the play, it's still a miracle. Even if it's slow, it's still a miracle. And so God, I pray for slow miracles for the people here, for the members of our church, and for people who are um, a part of our church community that are watching and listening right now, people who need miracles of healing, people who are walking in brokenness, people with, with broken hearts, people who are dealing with sin in their lives and its effects, people who are dealing with the effects of others' sins in their lives, the shame that comes along with it, the, the broken relationships, the, the wall that it seems like we feel between ourselves and you. Lord, so many need healing in so many ways. And God, I pray for those miracles. God, I pray that each person would trust you to walk with you. God, I pray for any person especially who's never experienced your healing, who has never accepted your hand to lead them more than just acknowledging that you're there, more than just acknowledging that you're real, but saying to you, take me by the hand and lead me. I will follow you. God, I pray that you would lead people to that place of surrender. That you would lead them to salvation for the very first time. God, I pray for every one of us that's dealing with those things that, that are wondering what you're doing, why you aren't working or going quicker, God, for myself, you know, Lord, my heart. You, you know that I preach these words in a mirror. God, I pray that we would just take you by the hand and walk one step at a time, knowing that you're at work. Give us faith, Lord, to trust what you say. Help us to trust your goodness and your grace even when we don't understand it, even when it seems incomplete. Give us a miracle that only you can give us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand, we will close in worship.